Good morning. Thank you for coming to today's podcast. I'm Fernando, an alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change those things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. I have a five-year-old recording of Came to Believe that I did way back then. And I was experimenting with music, and you can hear the wife in the background cluttering and banging things. So I apologize for the clutter and the the background noise. But the message, the words, the words come straight from the uh, I came to believe. So please listen, listen with your heart and your mind and derive the good words that the program has to offer us through the book came to believe. Here we go. Thank you. Higher power. Readings from came to believe. Our concept of a higher power and God as we understand him afford everyone a nearly unlimited choice of spiritual belief and action. Bill W. Our concepts of a higher power and God as we understand him afford everyone a nearly unlimited choice of spiritual belief and action. This first reading in the book Came to Believe comes to us from Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's called My Friend. I recently made a friend of someone I wish everyone could know. This friend is never too busy to listen to me. My problems, my joys, my sorrows... He gives me the courage to face life squarely and helps me conquer my fears. The counsel I get is always good, for this friend is wise, patient, and tolerant. Sometimes I do not heed his advice, and then I must ask for and be willing to accept additional advice very humbly and sincerely. Regardless of the mistakes I make, my friend is always there, available to me at any time, day or night. I can talk and he does not interrupt, no matter how I ramble on. Sometimes while talking to him, I I receive a resolution to my problem. Other times, just by putting my problems into words, I see how petty and unimportant it is. I feel as if my friend is holding my hand and gently guiding me if I will listen. I feel that when I do not listen, my friend is hurt, but never angry. My friend is with me at work or at home, my constant companion wherever I go. He is my higher power as I understand it. He is the God I know, Colorado Springs. Okay, the next one is an atheist journey. That's a long story from Sayak City, Iowa. Here we go. Four members of an AA group are called by a hospital as a last resort, a token gesture, to see a man who was nearly hopeless mental and physical state. He was due to be committed to the state institution as an incurable alcoholic and almost certainly that would be his final home. A.A., well, he decided nothing could be worse than what he was facing, so he agreed to listen. In one condition, he didn't want any of that God stuff. 
He was a professed atheist, and on that one point, he was clear. He had no intentions of changing, no matter what the consequences. The four men talked. He listened. And when they had finished, he was interested. There was still the big drawback, however. God, if that idea was part of the program, AA was not for him. The four men thought, and then suddenly one of them spoke quietly at first, unsure of how his new approach would be received. He pointed out the plight of the patient, his helplessness, his illness. As he talked, he became more certain that he was talking, taking the right path. He pointed out that he and the other three were sober and had managed to stay that way. They were working. They were happy. Surely this made them stronger than the patient. The patient couldn't argue that point. Well then, couldn't they be considered a higher power of a sort who possibly could help restore his sanity? Couldn't they be considered as a group of a higher power of a sort who possibly could help restore his sanity? He thought about this and somewhere deep in the shadowy, confused recess of his mind, there flashed a faint hope. Yes, he told them. They could represent his higher power. He could turn his life over to their care. The four men looked at one another. At least it was a place to start, but it was wouldn't be easy. Indeed, it was a long, slow process, but gradually the cobwebs began to clear. As the patient read more and more about AA, he eagerly looked forward to the visits from his first four friends and from other members of the group who were now coming to see him. Two, his body took much longer to heal than his mind, so it was a red-letter day when he was finally able to dress and say goodbye to the hospital and to all the, all the doctors and nurses who had helped restore him to physical health. As he dressed, he kept thinking how different this was from the department he had almost made, departure, to the state institution. His trust, his belief in four men had made it possible, but could he stay sober outside these doors? Well, he'll do it today, anyhow. He threw himself into AA work with all the energy he could muster attending several meetings a week. His body still tired, his body tired quickly, but he was never too tired to answer a 12-step call. The memory of his first visit from AA and what it had meant to him would always be clear. One day, a call came for him to see someone who needed help. When he arrived, he discovered the fate had indeed dealt him a strange hand. The alcoholic he was visiting was a priest. He played that hand carefully and wisely, for it was a challenge unlike any ever he had ever faced or had ever imagined facing. He who had shunned this man's God must now find exactly the, the right words for communication. He fumbled for a start, and then suddenly it became easy to talk to the priest. This fellow alcoholic, a warm friendship developed between the two, and so it was a special joy when he became the priest's sponsor. They learned much from each other, or perhaps in each case, the knowledge had been there all along, just waiting for the right person to bring it to the surface. In his remaining years, this man was called upon many more times to help someone find the way to sobriety. Of these calls, two took him to the sight of other men 
of the clot who needed help. In these cases, ministers. Twice more, he was privileged to sponsor men of God. By now, his God as well. He left this world. He left this world after seven years of uninterrupted sobriety. A man of peace with himself and his higher power. His legacy is the same as that left by AAs everywhere, the world over, more valuable than any earthly riches. It is a living legacy embodied in the men and women he has helped and in the alcoholics to whom they in turn have extended a hand. Sayak City, Iowa. The only reality is our next article. I'm so tired of wandering around in my dreams, yet my eye keeps driving me back to them. For me, the only way out of it is through God. He is the only reality there is, and everything else must start from Him. AA Internationalist. As I give thanks to God for my wandering mind, my only reality is God. I habitually form this task of thanking God and getting a hold of my thinking. <clears throat> okay, reason for or conscience. This is from Bulawayo, uh, Rhodesia, Rhodesia. Reason or conscience. <clears throat> when I first heard the advice, listen to God, I looked around to see who was present. People who listened to voices were, I suppose, kept in some places at the expense of the state. <clears throat> Since I was already in one of those places, I figured that if I tried listening and someone in authority was watching me, I would not have a snowball's hope in the other place of ever getting out. Then one day came, I did try listening to God and found that He had been talking to me for some time about those checks I had cashed knowing that they would bounce, about those rotten lies I had told, about some relationship I would not have wanted made into a movie, about the selfishness of my ways and the grievous hurt I had inflicted on my friends and relatives. That's right. God talked to me through my conscience. Of, of course, when I was knocking off the hooch in a manner calculated to create an acute shortage of the stuff, a higher power does not exist for me. And the old conscience had a very thin time. When I came to believe, my conscience reasserted itself and now egged on my consciousness, I am endeavoring to make amends for all my wrongdoings in the past, as step nine suggests. Reason, or common sense if you prefer, is another method of finding out the will of God. But I prefer to rely on my conscience during my drinking days, my reason told me that I was jeopardizing my health, my job, my bank balance, and a host of other things. Where did this ordinary human reason get me? It got me two slips of paper, one from my boss saying that he thought he could manage without my services, the other from the bank manager, reminding me that, although he had lots of money, he thought I had had more than my fair share of it. My reason brought me to a mental and physical breakdown, which led me to the spell in an institution. Human wisdom had failed. I, indeed, I needed a wisdom greater, far greater than my own. This I found when I found a higher power in my conscience. 
All I have to do now is assemble all the facts as I see them and let him mold them to a conclusion. All I have to do now is assemble all the facts as I see them and let him mold them to a conclusion. The conclusion at which I arrive is that God's power is shown through results. How many more how many times have we followed a course of actions on faith alone and then told ourselves when when results verify the rightness of our action that we must be psychic psychic nonsense? Have you ever been of two or more minds when trying to arrive at a decision and then suddenly found something quite circumstantial popping up to show you the way? I have. And to me, this is just one more item to be added to the long list of God's accomplishments. For me, guidance. I do not have to be guided to shave each morning, nor to have a bath, however occasionally, nor can I rely on supernatural intervention to help me slosh a golf ball the way it ought to be sloshed. But I have been guided to know that I must make amends for the grief and worry I, vis I visit on my loved ones during the dark days. When in all humility I try to pass our message on to other less fortunate alcoholics, I know that the plan of the higher power comes to us through the medium of people. To us alcoholics, this does not mean common or garden people, but special people such as other alcoholics. And I am guided to include among the people whom, from whom I might receive guidance and to whom I must demonstrate the life of my consciousness or higher power. Those who marry me, love me, befriend me, and stuck by me <clears throat> as others stuck by other alcoholics. It matters not whether reason or conscience showed me the way. I came to believe in a power greater than myself, and that has been my salvation. Bula Wayo Rhodesia. Amen. Our next article comes to us from Lakewood, Ohio. Inner Voice. Long before nagging and pressures from others concerning my excessive use of alcohol made any impression on me, the nagging voice of conscience, my own inner voice of truth and right, appraised me of the irrevocable fact that I had lost control of alcohol that I was powerless. I know now that the inner voice was God, as I understand Him, speaking for, as I had been taught from earliest memories, and as AA has emphasized God, or good, emanates from within each of us. Amen. Next article is called Faith in People. This is from New York, New York. My parents gave me a faith that in later years I lost. No, it was not a religious faith. Though I was exposed to the teaching of two sects, neither was forced upon me. I simply drifted away through boredom and my fragile superficial belief in God vanished as soon as I tried thinking about it. It was a faith in people that my parents gave me, both by loving me and by respecting me as an individual, entitled to make my own choices. This love I accepted and returned unquestioningly as a, as a fact of nature. 
out in the world on my own, I still had a feeling of being under benevolent protection. My immediate bosses or bo of both sexes seemed to regard me as kindly as school teachers had. Oddly, my good fortune sometimes annoyed me. What is this? I asked myself. Do I arouse the maternal impulse? For there was inside me an element of war within, with my faith in people. It was a furious, stiff-necked pride and argue for total independence. With my contemporaries, I was always painfully shy, and even then I interpreted this handicap correctly as a symptom of egotism and fear that others would not agree with my own high evaluation of myself. That valuation certainly did not include a picture of myself as a drunk. Often I suspect that pride kills as many alcoholics as liquor does. I could very easily have done one of the victims. I could have very easily been one of the victims. Um, because my reaction to fast progression alcoholism was chiefly a frantic effort to hide it. Ask for help? What an idea. The day came when my pride was squashed, flat, temporarily, and I did call for help. I call on people, strangers, but my pride, expanding as help returned, blocked my first two approaches to AA. During this interlude, non-alcoholic friends helped me too, unasked. After one more failure to regain my skill as a social drinker, I was convinced and I began my AA membership in earnest. Fortunately, I joined a group that devotes its closed meetings to step discussions. Most of the members had had their own concept of a personal God. The atmosphere of faith surrounding me was so marked that I thought at times I was on the point of joining in it. In it. I never did, and yet I found the steps revealing new depths of meaning with each discussion. Step two, the power greater than ourselves meant AA, but not just the members I knew, it meant all of us, everywhere, sharing a concern for each other and thereby creating a spiritual resource stronger than any one of us could provide. Another woman in my group believed that the souls of dead alcoholics, including those of times before AA, contributed to this fountainhead of goodwill. The thought was so beautiful that I wish I could believe it too. At first, step three was simply the way I felt on now no hangover mornings of early sobriety. Sitting by my window on days that always seemed sunny, having no immediate prospect of employment and feeling perfectly happy and confident anyhow, then the step became a cheerful acceptance of my place in the world. I had no idea who or what is running the show, but I know I'm not. And I could also see step three as a good attitude, an effective approach to life. If I am swimming in salt water and I panic and start thrashing around and fighting it, it will drown me, but if I relax and have faith in it, it will hold me afloat. Though step four does not mention a higher power, to me the word moral carried an implication of sin 
which in my book translate as an offense against God. So I regarded the inventory instead as an attempt to an honest description of my character. On the red side went qualities that tended to hurt people by trying to live in the world rather than escaping from it, by trying to open myself up to other people rather than withdraw from them. I hoped that this contact with my fellow human beings could, would somehow rub off the sharp, hurtful corners of my personality. Step six and seven. I am not sure that I was consciously working the steps, but they were surely working on me. In about the fourth year of sobriety, a trivial incident suddenly made me realize that my old boogaboo of shyness had disappeared. I feel at home in the world, I said to myself in astonishment. Now, some ten years later, I still do. In the, in the whole measure of my life, the benefits of the AA experience have far outweighed the damages of active alcoholism. What was it that overcame my pride for the moment and made me reachable. The best answer I can find is what my father used to call the life force. He was an old-fashioned family doctor and has seen the death force springing up or failing many times. It is in all of us. I believe it animates all living things. It keeps the galaxies willing. The saltwater metaphor applied to Sepri was not chosen by accident, for to me the ocean is a symbol of this force. I come close to step 11 when I can contemplate an unbroken horizon from the deck of a ship. I am cut down to size. I feel serenely that I am a small part of something vast and unknowable. But isn't the ocean rather a cold symbol? Yes, do I think that it's an eye is on the minnow? That it is concerned about my individual fate? Would I talk to it? No. Once near the end of my drinking, I did address these words to something non-human. In the darkness before morning, I got out of bed, knelt, folded my hands and said, please help me. Then I shrugged it. I shrugged and said, who am I talking to, and got back into bed. When I realized that incident to one of my sponsors, when I related that incident to one of my sponsors, she said, but he did answer your prayer. That may be, but I do not feel it. I didn't argue with her, nor do I attack the mystery with pure logic now. If you could prove to me logically that there is a personal God, and I don't think you can, I still would not be inclined to talk to a presence I couldn't feel. If I could prove to you logically that there is no God, and I know I can't, your true faith would not be shaken. In other words, matters of faith lie entirely outside the realm of reason. Is there anything beyond the realm of human reason? Yes, I believe there is something. In the meantime, here we are all together, I mean, all of us people, ju not just alcoholics, we need each other. New York, New York. Conversation. I believe that the AA program is simply the will of God being put to practical everyday use. And I think that the spiritual awakening is the realization that God will help the individual. 
if the individual is completely honest in his efforts. If God were to enter my prison cell for a brief talk, our conversation might be as follows. God says, I had my eye on you for a long time, and I'm glad that you're finally trying to help yourself. Myself, I'm trying hard, but truthfully, I am scared. God says, you keep trying and listen to the people that I have working for me in AA, and heed their advice. I have to leave now, for I have a busy itinerary, but if you need me, I will always be near. Wapoon, Wisconsin. Our next article comes from Denning, New Mexico. It says, God is good. The title of it, God is good. Before AA, I could not or would not admit I was wrong. My pride would not let me, and yet I was ashamed of me. Caught in this conflict, I banished God from my life because I felt He asked me to adhere to a behavior pattern too high for a man of my human frailty. Somehow, I believed that there could be no forgiveness for any failure, that God required me to be all good. The moral of the story of the prodigal son eluded me. Since I thought trying was not enough, I stopped trying. That made me feel guilty for a while. Alcohol blotted out the guilt. Then, alcohol became the greatest cause of my guilt. I had to be beaten to a pulp. Physically, mentally, and emotionally, became back bankrupt in all facets of my being. Therefore, I could give up my pride and admit defeat. Unfortunately, admitting was not sufficient. My situation got worse until I had to surrender completely. From the depths of my hell, I called out, Oh God, help me. And he did, led me to a place where I could find a way out of the maze and then sent me a group of people to lead the way. I know now it took some time for my guys to get me to talk to God through prayer. Before then, I used the fellowship of AA and the people in it as my higher power. They were real, compassionate, and understanding. They, and then they made me feel welcome. But my distorted sense of justice told me there was no reason for God to forgive me. So I still felt ashamed and guilty when his name was mentioned. When I gave up completely and accepted the nature of my disease, as well as the full meaning of the first step, I had to have something bigger to tie to. The fellowship as a higher power just was not enough. I still use AA as a reminder that God exists, but I do not use it in place of God. So out of need, I came to believe. To go along with this step-seated belief in God, to go along with this deep-seated belief in God, I have developed an enormous faith in God. He is good. My understanding is that everything He sends my way is for my benefit. But the growth of this understanding has taken time, as well as a relinquishing of my resistance to change. I needed the trials and tribulations I have had so that I could surrender and give up, give up self.
Only in complete acceptance of the utter defeat of my pride and ego could I begin to win. I am against goals which can be attained. People do not get married and live happily ever after. I could not dry out and live in utopia. Each day, God gives us gives us new challenge. God gives us a new challenge every day. Sometimes it is prosperity. Sometimes adversity. Prosperity can lead to complacency. Adversity, self-pity. Either one of these reactions is a luxury I cannot afford. I do not always fully accept my adversities as good while I am going through them. But the mere fact that I am now able to write these words proves the logic in my faith that God is good. It is strictly my opinion based on my experience that one becomes richer in spirit as one grows in spirit. The more I accept God, the more He gives me. As I become more appreciative to the benefits received, I try harder to show my appreciation. My capacity to be content with life as it is has greatly increased. Therefore, as time goes on, I become more able to be at peace with my fellow man, with God, and within myself. Deming, New Mexico. Our next article comes to us from Canton on the Sea, South Africa. I was born in Anglican Church of England. I was born in Anglican Church of England, and the following crops up in one of those in our services. Perhaps it's in the service of other denominations also. Therefore, with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven, we loud and glorify thy name. Since I have no knowledge of heaven or the company kept there, whenever I repeat these passages of praise, I substitute the words and the whole company of Alcoholic Anonymous. Being an AA loner, I have felt very out of things and on my own, but I do believe in the power of collective thought, whether for good or evil. Thus, I believe that the collective thought of the body of Alcoholics Anonymous throughout the world must have some effect on alcoholics, whether they are aware of it or not. Canton-on-the-Sea, South Africa. Our next article is called Guiding Presence and comes to us from Grand Island, Nebraska. In my early boyhood, Reciting, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, and learning to sing, Jesus Loves Me, were part of my everyday life. Attending Sunday school and then church became an accepted one-day-a-week activity. How much these things affected my life as a small boy, I really don't know. But at any time when I experienced fear or trouble, I always turned to live to a live adult for comfort and reassurance. No doubt some of these childhood teachings remained with me through the years, even after I came to depend on the bottle instead, to comfort in times of trouble and for answers to my problems. But with increasing dependence on the bottle and the anguish, heartache, and loneliness that went with it, there seemed to be a sharp and total decline in all spiritual beliefs and feelings. I became a human paradox. 
In desperation, I would cry to God to help me out out of this terrible mess. In the next breath, I would damn him for not helping me. On occasion, I would expound at great length to others that I was an atheist and did not believe there was a God. If there was, how could he let one of his own creation suffer so much and live in the hell that I was living in? Each day became so painful that at last I turned as a small, terrified child to a living, sober, sane adult for comfort and help. He took me to a place where I had vowed I would never go, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. When the meeting was open with a moment of silence, I wondered why, but I was impressed. At the close of the meeting, I was shocked when they stood and began to repeat the Lord's Prayer. I tried to join them, though I had long ago forgotten the words, and again I was impressed. In spite of having been thoroughly integrated a few hours earlier, I returned home feeling good. I seemed to understand that here at last was the hope and help I had been searching for. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep that night while trying to recall the words of the Lord's Prayer. That first day and for some weeks following, I had the comforting feeling of never being alone. During every minute of every day, this good, strong, guiding presence seemed to be always with me. I couldn't see it, yet it was there. Never once I did tell anyone of this experience. Never once did I tell anyone of this experience. I was having, for I was convinced they would say that it was but a figment of my imagination, and that if I would just bear with it, my sanity would return in time. I wasn't so sure myself that there might be not there might not be something wrong with my mind even so i was delighted with what was happening to me and i wanted to continue if this was a sign of insanity i thought let me remain forever in this grass one day i suddenly realized that this great invisible something or someone who was no longer by my side i felt momentarily lonely until i reasoned that this someone greater than myself had decided it was now time for me to face the new realities of a new life. But should I need some help along the way, I felt that he would always be close by as a small child who crosses the street alone for the first time knows that his mother is watching from his window. When through these personal experiences I came to believe that the divine architect had laid out a master plan that included me in my own small way. I found that I had a certain degree of sustaining hope to cope with everyday living in a sane and confident manner. Grand Island, Nebraska. Our next article is from Marysville, Ohio, a living part of AA. God is a living part of AA. I feel his presence each time I look into the concerned eyes around me. His greatest commandment is, love thy neighbor as thyself. This seems to me to be the entire purpose of AA. This seems to me to be the entire purpose of AA, Marysville, Ohio. Thank you very much for listening to this reading. As I came to believe published first in 1973 by AA World Services.
<clears throat> Thank you so much for listening into that. It was really eye-opening. Less from the book came to believe. I just purchased it in Spanish, so I'll, I'll be loading it up in Spanish for our, our Spanish-speaking families out there. That's the kind of service that uh, I'm able to do. I'm really enjoying all this. This is so important. These stories that were written in. <clears throat> came to believe one of our first books taken from beautiful stories that people have written in for the uh, for the AA Big Book. These are the ones that were set aside and they were so good that they had to publish them. Um, we read a meeting. I, I was at a meeting yesterday and we read this 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 one from uh, Grapevine, December 1962, sponsoring the Alatot. You know how they have Alatine, they have Alanon, AA. Well, we have Alatot. This is uh, taken from Happy, Joyous, and Free, The Lighter Side of Sobriety, our AA Grapevine, one of our books. <clears throat> Uh, we uh, we had a lot of fun reading this yesterday, a lot of chuckles, and the idea the idea is that the person writing this is extremely intelligent and humorous. That's what the interest of AA did to me was the uh, the penmanship, the oral, and all the uh, the delivery of the words, and and uh, I found out that the people in in the program had greater caliber more enthusiasm and zest for life and i figured wow wow that was no reason one of the reasons why we drank so thank you so much for coming in and putting your listening ear that was a very hard because of the background i was experimenting with music and so forth but the words are the ones that express themselves one of the uh, aa alcoholic anonymous and other 12-step programs like elnon our objective is to get these lifelong words that are always here to you without any uh, human objective to it other than compassion, caring, and this is what happened to me. Again, our objective in the 12-step program is to deliver us words from long ago, created from the beginning, that will set us right without the delivery, delivery with without use, you, 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 you got to, you got to, with delivery, this is what happened to me, and allowing us the respect for us to consider and and to receive it and to move on forward. Okay, let's go ahead and, uh, and do the uh, third step prayer, please. Let's say it. God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy way. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Third step prayer. Here we go. Reading from December 1962 Grapevine, sponsoring the Alatot. One July morning in 1961, my wife awoke early and complained of severe abdominal pains. I rushed her to the hospital where she suddenly disappeared, 
down an antiseptic corridor while a bossy old woman in a starch uniform ordered me into a waiting room. For two hours, I read an upside-down copy of a year-old magazine and carried on a jerky conversation with a young man who stood with one foot on a radiator and scowled out the window. He was much younger than I, yet it was his third experience of this sort. I could not bring myself to admit that it was my first time, even though I was almost 36. I had begun to resent the fertile young man's superior ways very much when I saw my wife being wheeled on on the table past the open door on the waiting room. She was lying on her stomach, a feat she hadn't performed now in many months. The bossy old woman flowed, followed close behind and growled that I could come to see my wife in a few minutes. But the visit would have to be necessarily short so as to avoid contamination in her room. And so it was that ten minutes later, I was standing close to my wife's bed when our newborn son, Wayne William, was brought in for an introduction. And in this moment, I was smitten by a vital tidal wave of fear. Here was I, the longtime AA, the confirmed bachelor, the sometimes recluse, responsible for a creature who was apparently illiterate and incapable of supporting himself. He couldn't walk, speak, distinguish objects, or even feed himself. And he wasn't at all pretty. His head was shaped like an underfed gourd, and his face had an angry, squinch-together look. I was quite certain that he was just a miniature King Kong without hair. The nurse was babbling on excitedly about what a lovely baby he was, but I dismissed her chatter as part of the hypocritical sales talk the hospital professionals use. After all, if they didn't do some kind of selling job, you'd be inclined to leave the babies there or have them shipped off to the zoo. I felt like saying, okay, lady, off, lady. But I didn't want to hurt the gushy old soul's feelings, and I also perceived that the sales talk had apparently brainwashed my wife because she obviously didn't notice the gourd-shaped head and the wrinkled face. When I remember that my wife probably haven't have heard of King Kong either. Five days later, in a gesture that still strikes me as being brutal and sadistic, the hospital abruptly stopped caring for my wife and Wayne William, and I found myself alone with them at the front entrance, nervously preparing for the drive home. By now, the gourd-shaped head has started to turn into the more acceptable outlines of a cantaloupe, and his face seemed less wrinkled and not quite so angry. I scrutinized him carefully and decided he was definitely less repulsive than he had been at our first meeting. I started the car and drove home at two miles an hour. <laughs> For the next two weeks, I endured the undurable. Shrills, screams, captivated from the bed at 2 a.m., Shrill screams captivated me from the bed at 2 a.m. I stepped on mushy diapers that had been left lying around. I spent most of my spare time on errands, for this new creature required an incredible amount of maintenance equipment. Bills began to pour in on top of that. 
I was trapped, helpless, feeling almost drowned in responsibility. As it always does, the AA philosophy came galloping to the rescue. With a program of action for the care of babies, good old AA had saved my life more than 10 years before and had somehow always been flexible enough, versatile enough to show me ways out of the other life problems. To show me ways out of other life problems. It had taught me how to coexist with despotic employers. It had schooled me in the art of getting along with impossible people. It even showed me that one of those impossible persons with whom I hadn't been at all good terms was myself. And before many months, the Magic AA program had healed that troubled relationship. Now, what did it, it have to teach me about getting along with this difficult newcomer, this source of midnight disturbance and treacherous diapers? I had quite a bit to teach me. It had a bit of quite a teaching. For one thing, as an A member, I had always called new members by the customary terms babies. For another, I had long recognized that alcoholics were emotionally immature persons, which by inference means that in some respect they still belong in the cradle. Finally, I have believed that the AA program is an infallible guide to success in human relations and especially in family relationships. Isn't fatherhood actually a form of sponsorship? Doesn't one have the task of taking a helpless individual by the hand and helping him to grow to independence? True. AA sponsorship is brief, casual, and relatively uncomplicated. While fatherhood is a lifetime responsibility and relatively uncomplicated, while fatherhood is a lifetime responsibility, but both should have the goal of helping persons to achieve freedom usefulness, and some degree of blessedness. The wife sponsor will even want to see his baby eventually surpass him in these things. Excuse me. The wise sponsor will even want to see his baby eventually surpass him in these things. Now, I'll admit that in the beginning, Wayne William, my anonymous elatot, showed little promise. A listing of some of his chief traits show him how similar he was to the many babies who come to into AA. Total self-absorption was one. Seemed aware only of himself and his immediate needs. Inability to feed himself. Was unable to raise food and drink to his own lips. Complete lack of gratitude. Took what he wanted, when he wanted it, without so much as a single grateful acknowledgement. Lack of consideration for others. Emitted loud noises even though others were trying desperately to sleep. Utter lack of modesty. Showed total disregard for his state of absolute nudity even in the presence of several female visitors. Astrocious manners. Many slurping sounds while taking nourishment and belched loudly upon finishing. As Wayne Williams' sponsor... As me, the sponsor, I perceived that these traits were charming and lovable in babies, but were terrible liabilities in the adult world. It is too early to tell, but I cannot help but feel that it is far easier to guide a young child into the good life than it is a sick adult into whom selfishness and pride 
have become deeply embedded. So far, AA has been largely a remedial, remedial program, correcting attitudes of mind and spirit that never should have been twisted in the first place. Walnut's principles have a far greater effect on the tender child who never has been warped and twisted by cruelty, neglect, lovelessness, and all the other forces of hate. I believe they will. I believe that they will. Right from the beginning, though, I began going against the advice of almost everybody who had ever raised babies. Some of them told me that I didn't know anything about raising children, but I hardly listened to what they had to say, for I had seen some of their babies grow into impudent little brats with severe emotional problems. And I don't think my wife and I even care for the word race. One raises rabbits, chickens, and cabbages, the children ought to be in another category. They deserve much more than mere raising. They deserve sponsorship. And I had far more experience at sponsorship than any of the old wives who clucked their tongues at the way we dealt with Wayne William. For example, in his first few days at home that he would stop crying if we would feed him, rock his bassinet, or pick him up and carry him around the room. I reasoned that he cried because he was pained, hungry, uncomfortable, or frightened. His crying was the only way he had of telling us this, so immediately our policy was established. If he cries, pick him up. I was amazed by the number of people who warned me that I was spoiling our baby. Some even suggested that he was manipulating us, and he had got the best of us. I didn't listen very closely to the advice. For something good, for sometimes, good AA sponsorship requires that we place ourselves in a position to be manipulated and used by unscrupulous or misguided people who don't really want what our program has to offer. But I was certain that an infant child is not unscrupulous or misguided and cannot really have any cunning knowledge that he is using somebody so we continue to pick him up. <coughs> and after a few moments, excuse me, he seemed to demand it less and less. Now, he rarely cries. People remark that he is a happy baby, but I wonder if he would be so if we would let him to scream away his terrors and the loneliness as of a locked room. Another of our policies or belief was that a baby has all the rights and privilege to do any human being and must be treated with respect. In my years of bachelorhood, I had scold ferociously while young parents humiliated their children in public or tended to neglect them. I had often suspected that these same parents had been treated in a similar way when they were children as had I, but this was at best a very shabby person, shabby reason for passing the same cruelty on to one's own children. Good sponsorship must include a genuine respect for the baby and a willingness to spend time with him. So soon after we brought him home from the hospital, I began to take Wayne William for long walks in his stroller. Often without my wife, I noticed that other men looked at me rather particular, peculiarly. 
And I realize that in our society, it is usually the woman who takes the baby for a walk. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that many men actually spend very little time with their children. So much of our AA sponsorship has a threadbare quality because we haven't as yet learned how to love the helpless and, <clears throat> excuse me, and sometimes disagreeable people who come to us. We sponsor them mechanically without really putting much of ourselves into it. The AA member who has a genuine love of others rises above this and provides a far greater sponsorship than is otherwise possible. And this has its effect on the baby. The AA member who has a genuine love of others rises above this and provides a far greater sponsorship than is otherwise possible. And this has effects on the baby. It's a poor sponsorship that doesn't have a wonderful effect on the sponsors too. I can truthfully say that the sponsorship, sponsoring the baby has done me more good than almost any previous experience. Becoming a father myself, I had a better understanding of the role of God as father of man. I tell myself that if God loves us even as much as I love my little boy, that all is going to be well with the world. And I have felt a listening of self-concern, more personal fulfillment, and a keener understanding of the adult world around me. I even felt a little closer to AA, which, of course, made my sponsorship of the anonymous Elatot possible in the first place. And this is from NDB, Michigan, 1962. Incredible. Excuse me for the sneezing. Um, it's early in the morning and I've been outside moving things around in the garden and waking the neighbors up and going into my garage and just doing life. Why? Because we have freedoms in AA. Freedoms. Thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. I love you. God bless you. And yes, I'm falling in love with my work with sponsorship. I felt that yesterday. I, uh, I had to go. We did a 9 a.m. meeting at the park. We met early. Me and one of my sponsees. We read this story. We laughed and chuckled. And all of a sudden, we were full of other men around us listening to the story. I just motioned them to be quiet as they approached getting ready for the 9 a.m. meeting at the park. And there was about 14 of us. Two of them were gals. All of them were mostly fathers there listening. Some strangers, some people with heavy business loads on their minds. The beauty of it is that uh, I asked my sponsee, would he uh, help me run a Al-Anon meeting that I've been, I admitted I would help out and, and uh, fill in for the secretary that went to the dentist. So, and he goes, well, I got to do this, I got to do that and everything. And I thought about it. He's all, and then he thought about it for a while. He goes, well, you know, there's, there is going to be a high temperature today and and i'll be saving the i'll be doing the community good by not doing my laundry this afternoon and then he says yeah i'll go with you and then i said fine come over to the house a half hour before i'll have some tuna from the pacific cooked and we'll have a salad and cook and right on the on the front lawn and then from there we'll take off to the meeting and we'll get there in time sure enough 
We had a great, beautiful salad. We ate all the fish up that I cooked in the grill. And uh, from there, we took out to the next meeting. There was five men in the Al-Anon meeting. And another, again, God showed up. And it was fabulous and great. And at the end of the day, that sponsee texted me with an incredible gratitude. He said, what a wonderful day I had today. It was early. It was full of uh, AA literature and hospitality and friendship and exactly spending quality time and loving on a person that could not love themselves. And basically, we're probably their only family right now that's available is the AA group. And that's the way it was with me. And, and that's how we become like our Father in Heaven. We become human beings, passing it down. God bless you. Again, let's go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working.